This podcast is brought to you by Recontract, the leading software to automate your reconditioning process. From vehicles to people to parts, Recontract streamlines every touchpoint in your recon process. Visit recontract.com to learn more. That's R-E-C-O-N-T-R-A-C.com. Want to dive deeper into the topics you hear about on Daily Drive? We're offering listeners a special offer, 20% off a one-year Automotive News digital subscription. That gets you access to all of our news, information, and analysis made for automotive industry leaders like you. Go to autonews.com slash daily drive promo to redeem. Welcome to this weekend drive edition of Daily Drive for the second week in January 2024. I'm Jamie Butters, executive editor of Automotive News. And I'm Kellen Walker. We're joining you from CES in Las Vegas. Today, we're breaking down some of the biggest stories from CES and across the auto industry this past week. And we're looking forward to what's in store in the days ahead. Jamie, welcome back to CES. We were here this time last year. And you know as well as I know, last year, no one was talking about hydrogen. Fast forward this week, there's been a lot of talk about hydrogen. We've heard hydrogen commitments from companies like Bosch, Packard, Forvia, and Hyundai, just to name a few. Will we start to see more companies go all in on hydrogen, or are they just dipping their toes? Hydrogen, it has to be a long play, right? It's a, nobody's going to go all in on hydrogen right away because uh, there's just there's not enough infrastructure. The production of it is often very dirty. Uh, and, of course, the vehicles are super expensive to make. Right. So there's a lot of drawbacks in the short term. But in the longer term, I mean, the fuel cell stacks could be a really good way to power batteries for you know, long-haul electric vehicles. Um, that would be you know emission free. They can uh, handle. They can pack more energy into the tanks, into the vehicles than you can really do with a battery. So they, it's seen as a really good solution for semi trucks and things like that. One of the big challenges, like I said, is the production, and that's something you know Hyundai kind of made some news on. They talked about wanting to be able to generate hydrogen from plastic waste, the non-recyclable plastic, uh, from you know cow poop and uh, you know food uh, garbage uh, to turn that into methane and get hydrogen out of that. They're also uh, trying to harness all the resources of the company to be able to lower the cost of electrolysis, which is uh, breaking apart water into hydrogen and oxygen. You know, it's H2O. And that's sort of a holy grail thing where right. if you could do that and power cars and power life as all part of just the water cycle, that could be really cool. But it's really hard. It's still expensive. And uh, I asked uh, Executive Chair E.S. Chung if you know Hyundai saw itself as uniquely equipped to address the entire hydrogen value chain. And he said, no, <laughs> said, you know, other people can do the energy stuff. Like they're clearly trying to help get more and better clean hydrogen production, uh, but they're going to focus on fuel cell vehicles and try to hope that the rest of the industry really solves the production, storage, and distribution. So it sounds like We'll go electric EVs on the consumer side of just us everyday folks, and then just on the commercial side, it would be more of the hydrogen? Does that make more that's sense? That's roughly where it's going. Starting okay. at the high end with the trucks on hydrogen, the 
I mean, the first EVs were pretty small cars even. And so right. kind of trying to narrow the gap there and, until they can sort out what's the best uh, cost-benefit analysis. Gotcha. Well, you brought up Hyundai, and Hyundai was one of those companies that announced their hydrogen plans. And it's wild. I mean, ever since our Congress that we did last year in Detroit, I remember Jose Munoz showing that entire Hyundai portfolio, and they have their hands in a little bit of everything. Do you think that they may be diversifying just a little too fast? You know, it's always been a, a diverse group. If you look at the broader Hyundai group, I mean, it's, it's not just, you know, Hyundai, Kia, and Genesis, right? It's, uh, and Hyundai Finance, there's Hyundai Steel and, and shipping. And they're really, they're in all sorts of businesses. Getting into flying taxis, uh, that's, a, <laughs> that's a bit of a stretch. And, and the more they lean in on hydrogen, I think the hydrogen part, makes sense in the context of their whole portfolio of businesses. I mean, manufacturing steel in a carbon neutral world, that's yeah. super, super challenging. Right. So hydrogen can be a way to get enough energy. It's something, actually, Joe Biden has talked about it as well. You know, we are going to need to make steel even in a carbon neutral future. Right. And hydrogen, while it's maybe suboptimal as a vehicle fuel these days, uh, is really going to have an important role in industrial operations. Okay, because I was just wondering just, just kind of how the world is shifting. Like, is there such thing as like a company like Hyundai growing too fast? Well, yeah. And if and companies, hey, companies get distracted. Like you said about being diversified, you look at the history of Chrysler. Uh, they would you know, have these boom times where they're making a ton of money, they have a hot product, and then they'd go off and invest in, you know, airplanes and other brands and try to get into other stuff and put that money to use. Well, then the economy turns, uh, they start losing a bunch of money in automotive and they have to sell those other things at a right. big loss. So yeah, it can be a big management distraction. But I think Hyundai seems to have a real solid plan and a really long-term vision. Gotcha. So, Jamie, CES has just always been that show that gives us a peek into the future. I like to call it the tech crystal ball. Mm -hmm. Out of all the things you saw, what realistically do you see coming to market the fastest? I mean, is it the hydrogen? Maybe it's all these self-driving cars we've seen this week. What's your take? Well, I think the thing uh, I literally saw that is supposed to be coming to market, maybe not a market for you or me, but self-driving trucks. Um, I visited the Continental booth uh, earlier this week, and Chris. Er they have a partnership with Aurora, led by Chris Ermson, one of the real pioneers of automated driving. They've been working on this trucking, uh, you know, self-driving trucks. You know, there aren't enough truckers in the U.S. or anywhere in the world. It's dangerous, you know, difficult work. So it's a real great opportunity to replace drivers, human drivers, with robot drivers. It's also, you know, mostly simpler driving on a usually fairly smooth and well-marked interstate highway. And they're planning to really use this year to prove that all the things work and to, you know, win the support of all the necessary regulators so that in 2025 they can scale up and we could see driverless trucks rolling down the highway on the regular by 2025. Well, wow. We're ready for it. It's about time, right? <laughs> we'll see, as long as it's safe. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, coming up, our own Pete Bigelow joins us once again from CES to talk about his impressions from this year's show. That's next on Weekend Drive. Daily Drive is kicking off the new year by reviving an old name in a new format. We're bringing back a Weekend Drive edition of Daily Drive. Jamie and I will go deeper into the biggest automotive stories of the week. Every weekend, you'll hear fresh insights, analysis, and what has me running hot, if not overheated. 
to think that's going to get done in a year, a little over a year, is um, foolishly optimistic. That's, that's a little dark, but let's shift <laughs> to something a little more positive. You'll also hear from our experts in the newsroom here at Automotive News about the latest industry trends and topics. EV sales are not declining. That's the narrative we're kind of seeing outside of the industry. They aren't declining, but the pace of growth definitely has slowed. Come back this weekend for our weekend drive edition of Daily Drive. And of course, tune in every weekday for all the news you need to know to keep up in the auto industry. Across the Hendrick Automotive Group, each store had a different reconditioning process. They started looking for a solution that would help them standardize their processes, give them actionable information, and ultimately drive efficiency. Knowing they needed to bring together all pieces of their operation to cut cycle times down to their goal of three days, they chose Recontract. Chris Little, Vice President of Variable Operations, explains why having the tools to measure your recon process gives you what you need to manage it more effectively. Everyone knows speed uh, to the front line uh, equates to more turns, which helps the overall company do better in terms of parts service and inventory bias. And so uh, when you can really take the time to measure and manage that uh, and perfect that, uh, you're going to increase your turns, you're going to increase your gross profit, and you're really just going to increase the amount of used cars you can sell uh, because you're getting them out on the front line. Interested in learning more? Don't miss Recontract at NADA 2024. Stop by booth 3157W or visit info.recontract/nada for more information. That's info.recontrac.com/nada. Welcome back to Weekend Drive. I'm Jamie Butters with Kellen Walker. It was another exciting show here at CES in Las Vegas over the past week, albeit with fewer auto industry reveals and without the Detroit 3. I spoke with our own Pete Bigelow about what stood out to us this week. Uh, Pete, welcome back to Weekend Drive. This is, uh, to, you've been, you're like the third host. This is the sequel, Jamie. It's, uh, <laughs> thanks for having me back. It's uh, clearly been a uh, busy week at CES in Vegas, and there's lots to talk about here. Yeah, I'm sorry. You've had to see me a lot more than you probably would like to. All right. Um, Let's start with, um, you know, Kel and I touched on the supernal Hyundai and its uh, urban air mobility joint venture a little bit earlier in the show. Uh, but tell me a little more, I mean, what are we seeing in terms of the auto industry and the aviation industry kind of working together or, I don't know, are they competing with each other more? I, I think it's probably working together more than competing, maybe creating a white space or, or finding a white space and, and filling that void. That's that's the hope here. One of the interesting statistics that I heard from Supernal the other day was there's approximately thirty to 35,000 aircraft currently operating across the globe. Their vision is to put hundreds of thousands of eVTOL aircraft out there. So if you really wow. think about the scope of one company tripling or more um, the, the global supply of aircraft right now, that's that's a very bold ambition to say the least. Yeah, it's, I don't know. I'm, I don't mean to be skeptical because the technology is cool and it could be very useful, but it, it stresses me out a little to think about an extra 100,000 things flying around in the air that are so heavy. and uh, Certainly, and I think one of the reasons that it's, you know, helicopters doing these sort of routes has mm -hmm. kind of faded. Uh, there's a safety 
issue. There's a nuisance issue in cities with how loud they are. Uh, Supernal says that their eVTOL can uh, take off and land at 65 decibels. That's about the equivalent of what you hear from a, a modern-day dishwasher. <laughs> so they've solved that aspect, uh, or they think they've solved that aspect. Uh, we'll see. There's a lot of infrastructure questions, too. That's like a big mm -hmm. one. Uh, that's, that's the big challenge for me. I think if you uh, are going to fly it to a place, <clears throat> it means like maybe four people can get there. Uh, maybe you have eight pads or six pads all around the same spot, but that's still that's a lot of coordination. That's a lot more, you know, risk of collision. Um, and, you know, just to unload and reload, it's, it's not a subway. No, it's definitely not. Uh, but you do, there were consultants who were telling me last week, you need to move these things very quickly in and out uh, or move people in and out very quickly because otherwise I'm just going to hail an Uber Black. Right. I'm, I'm not going to pay 25% uh, markup if I'm just going to sit and wait for this this aircraft. And, you know, there's a lot of questions. Do I have to go through TSA if I'm going to an airport or uh who knows? There's tons of unanswered questions in the air mobility space. Infrastructure in general is one of them. But another thought from the show is whether we're talking about eVTOL aircraft, whether we're talking about EV charging, whether we're talking about scooters where, you know, Bird just folded last week. Infrastructure is kind of one of the barriers to, to all this innovation that we see in transportation and a lot of what we see here at CES. Well, on that bright note, uh, let's turn to one of the hot uh, buzzword topics of the show. Uh, a lot of people talking about software-defined vehicles. Um, Pete, what's the state of that concept? It's interesting. I think we're moving from excitement, but we don't know how to do this, to uh, what we see at CES is probably a lot of movement on that front, a lot of business-to-business movements. Um, Jamie, I think what we see on the software-defined vehicle front is moving from buzzword into reality. Uh, a lot of companies here on the, the show floor who are, are doing business on that front. In some sense, this is more of a B2B show for yeah, software-defined so. vehicles. Yep. Uh, the C and Consumer Electronics <laughs> Show, which I know is not the official name anymore, is, is a little missing on that front. Mm -hmm. but, but to your point, I think that people are figuring out how to do software and vehicles, how to reverse the idea that we're gonna have a hardware product and we'll figure out what, what we can do with software-defined features and now really thinking about what it means to put software first and hardware second. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it makes perfect sense that it's not a consumer topic because I think the consumer doesn't care. What they care is, what can the car do for me? If that's mechanical, if it's electrical, if it's through software, great. Make it do cool stuff. If, if it's generative <laughs> AI coming into the cabin, that's the cool thing that it's doing for the, the person on the receiving end of it. Yeah. Absolutely. As long as it's providing a real value and not just uh, giving you, you know, fantasy directions, uh, making things up. Right? Well, I, I'm just, as we saw last month on the retail front, there's certainly some work to be done and uh, ways to game AI or, or certainly have, have errors that are unintended consequences where what directions might... You know, I mean, when ChatGPT kind of first came, I mean, like, we've, we've all heard the examples, but I have to bring this one up because Jerry Hirsch, you know, the editor on your team, um, you know, asked ChatGPT, you know, who's Jerry Hirsch? And it had some pretty accurate things about he was an editor, an automotive journalist, had been at the LA Times, had published work, and it said that he died three years ago. <laughs> <laughs> So you I know, I think he would beg to differ. Yes. Yeah, he, he 
he luckily he thought that was humorous, but uh. <laughs> right. But when, but when you to this point, when you take something like that and put it in a safety critical context, which you know, take that any way you want it, whether it's the car taking you to the wrong place, whether it's taking you off a road, uh, who knows? Like we we don't know what we don't know yet with uh, the those missing guardrails on on AI in the car. Yeah. Well, so you know. It's, so let's expound on that a little more. AI in the car, I mean, we hear that's the other big buzzword, right? And everyone's using AI. They're using it for programming. They're using it for, I was just talking with an executive who is using it to help, um, you know, make pitches for business faster. Like they can do it in 25% of the time. But let's, let's dial in on, you know, AI-powered in-car virtual assistants. I feel like that's something we've seen a bit of on the show floor. That is, and I think... Uh, there's some cool stuff I saw from the Qualcomm team, uh, really using large language models, using multiple layers of large language models to uh, kind of, one example would be like, pull up the owner's manual. Hey, hey, Snapdragon, pull up the owner's manual for my car because I have a warning light on, on the dash. Tell me about why, why is my warning light on? Pull up the owner's manual. Then can you distill that down to what are the directions I need to do to fix this uh, tell it to me in a simpler way and find me a dealer where I can make an appointment and you confirm your dealer appointment right from the dashboard. Uh, you know, that, and that's you know, Qualcomm's underpinning of, of making all that happen. So there's right. one example from the show floor here. Yeah. Uh, I was at, uh, visited the Continental booth and they have a partnership with Google uh, and has some really cool options you know, that if you're driving, especially in a different town, and it can, you can say, oh, what's, what's that building to my left? And it can tell you, oh, that's a museum or whatever, you know. Uh, and that's really useful and seems, you know, sort of non-threatening. But, you know, I've heard, you know, some other analysts and folks say, you know, this is a big risk for companies to give over that kind of data and that kind of control to a big tech company like Google that's just going to keep making itself more powerful. Absolutely. Uh, you know, consumer privacy in the vehicle is uh, a really fascinating field that we've only begun to explore in a lot of ways. You know, maybe we started that 10 years ago with license plate readers in the broader traffic environment, mm -hmm. uh, tracking your location. But now all that's very much in the car. You know, the car knows your biometrics, knows where you are, knows where you might want to go. Uh, that It's a minefield. Yeah, absolutely. All right, any final thoughts on uh, AI and personal assistance? I, I, in a way, my, my 10 second answer would be the best is yet to come. It's just such a embryonic aspect, even though we've had a lot of things over the years. Mm -hmm. uh, now that you have Gen AI coupled with a voice assistant in the car, uh, I think we're just getting a glimpse of what, what we're gonna see. And I guess my second thought on that would be, we're gonna see it faster because the, the hardware's in the car to make this happen. Uh, so once these, once these features are developed, they're going to be deployed very quickly. So this is not something that's going to be in a product in 2027. It's, we're going to see it in 2024. I don't know if I'm looking forward to that or if it's just something I'm going to have to deal with, but uh, it's good to know it's coming. Thanks so much for joining me, Pete. Absolutely, Jamie. Uh, great to be here and uh, safe travels home. That's all for this weekend drive edition of Daily Drive. I'm Jamie Butters. And I'm Kellen Walker. Thanks to Automotive News Coordinating Producer Jake Neer for his help on today's podcast. You can get the latest news on tech and innovation, manufacturing, and everything happening in the auto industry at autonews.com. We'll be off on Monday for the Martin Luther King Day holiday in the U.S. Come back on Tuesday for a conversation with Paul Thomas, Bosch's president of Mobility for the Americas. As electrification in the press starts to slow down a little bit, 
We're okay with that. We love electrification, but we also like internal combustions. So we have to watch the pattern and make sure that we don't follow it blindly. Sometimes we have to break it. If you enjoy the podcast, remember to like, leave a review, and subscribe so you never miss an episode.